Welcome to Larpender Life, the podcast about HP St. Paul in the 80s and 90s. I'm your host, Dave Carey. It's the only time in my career I've actually seen people in an office do cartwheels. If I remember it, one of the first presentations that day was the first time I had ever heard the topic of sexual harassment. You know, explaining a piece of, of um, technical minutia to a to the chief of staff of the president of the United States was quite a quite an experience. This is episode twelve, and my guest today is Mike Conley. If you missed any of the previous episodes, you can find them wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach me at larpenderlife at gmail.com. And now here's my discussion with Mike. Well, hello, everyone. My guest for today is Mike Conley. Mike, thanks very much for joining me on Larpenter Life. Thank you for having me. Mike, do you remember what year you started, and and can you tell me a little bit about getting hired? Yeah, I started in um, in July. I think it was July fifth of nineteen ninety three. I had uh, wait a minute, ninety three? No, nineteen eighty three. Sorry, can I start over? <laughs> I started in uh, I believe on July fifth of nineteen eighty three, and um, I was actually interviewed by Mike Anderson. I remember that. I was um, an engineering student, and I was a, a pretty good engineering student, but I realized that I wasn't dispositionally suited to being in the same building all day. Um, I learned that from a summer job at IBM Rochester, and I also was looking at the HP brochure, and it said, you got a company car, and I said, I want to be a salesperson, <laughs> and, and those were basically the two facts that led me into sales. So can you tell me about uh, what it was like joining HP at that time? Well, um, it's important to consider. I, I I was an engineering student, and engineering is, is pretty rigorous discipline. And I also was a commuter. I lived in Bloomington and commuted to the university. So um, for me, college was a job to get a job. Uh, my job was to do well enough in college to get a job, and that's all about. And I might have had four alcoholic beverages during my entire time of college. Yeah, that was pretty much the same thing for me in college. You know, I went to Madison, and nobody ever drinks in Wisconsin, so. Yes. And then I, I, I come to HP and um, it, you know, it's a much more relaxed atmosphere. It's a much more open atmosphere. And, and suddenly, you know, it's like we, I just remember a couple of things from that first year. One is the, the trip to the Lodge of the Four Seasons in the Ozarks. Oh, yeah. Which was a bit of a culture shock for me because I, I, I really hadn't uh, partied much at all in my life. And it was a, a pretty interesting night. I remember, you know, seeing at least one person walking unsteadily in the hallway, holding a bottle of wine. I'm not going to use names. And there were other, some other, I think, incidents in the course of that. Um, so that was kind of like, wow, you know, I, I didn't do this in college and they're doing this in business. This is pretty fun. And then, um, but I also remember that at that trip, the next morning coming into the room and saying, what's that along the wall? And, and it was the uh, Champagne Bloody Mary bar <laughs> for, for the 8 a.m. meeting. Now, interestingly, HP had a reputation as a party place, and absolutely at that time, it, it, at least my experience, it deserved that reputation. But if I remember it, one of the first presentations that day was the first time I had ever heard the topic of sexual harassment. Um, and really a very, someone from corporate who did a, um, 
really brilliant job of introducing the concept of sexual harassment and and respect. And so it it shows. I mean, to me, it shows that kind of self awareness HP always had, that it didn't get confused about the way it was doing things or its culture was always right, but was always looking forward for where it needed to go. I think you're, I think you're right, Mike. I, I remember at that time you'd every year you'd see HP in the lists of the top, <clears throat> top places to work, not only for just general people, mm-hmm. but also top places for females to work. Right. And I think uh, I've heard it from quite a few employees that, um, that, that they felt the same way. Right, and that, it was just such an interesting contrast. Um, the and and by the way, it was it was great. I mean, it was one of the wonderful things about HP. It was an incredibly self aware culture. Um, and then the other one I remember from my first year was was uh, Christmas Eve, where you know you had the deal. You came in, you worked for four hours, you got credit for the whole day. It's my first year. I'm trying to save vacation. I come in, not realizing, but that by work for four hours really meant the booze cart will come out at ten. Yeah. And I will, I will never forget seeing, um, it's the only time in my career I've actually seen people in an office do cartwheels <laughs> um, was that day. So those were, those were different times. Yeah, you worked for four hours, but um, we started at the number at the, of counting at two. So. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, I kind of remember that you were a car guy, Mike. So uh, you mentioned that you were excited to get a company car. Um, you know, back in those days, see, I started like the same within a month of you. And the company, remember the company cars we got? They, they were those LTDs with the fake cloth tops. Yes. yes. So... A young guy like me, right out of college, being a car guy, was, was that a great thing or was that just like, oh, boy, I like the car, but could I have something different? So my my entire experience of cars up to then were crappy and unreliable. I, I went to college in a 1970 Toyota Carina that um, had 110 miles when I bought it. I replaced almost every part on the dang thing. Um and it was it was just so nice to have something new, and yeah, it had those those hideous roofs on those LTDs, but they were still, you know. Here's the funny thing, you know, you got a car, you got a gas card, and you could just revel in in driving on a hot day with the windows open and the air conditioning blast because who cares? It was it was amazing at 22 to be able to do that. Yeah, you know, I when I got into my last year of college, I bought a Honda Prelude uh, and at the time, really fun little two-seater yeah. sporty car for a 23-year-old guy to drive around. And then, you know, I remember coming off staff and I was super excited to get my car. I ended up having to sell my Prelude and I go to a, I get an LTD. I got yeah. married uh, a few months later and all my old college buddies who had you know, we're at the wedding and they had all seen that prelude. And now they see this <laughs> kind of light brown LTD with an average age of the owner is 65 years old. Right, right. And boy, did I catch a lot of grief for that. But I just said, you know what, how much does your car cost? <laughs> well, I, you know, there was a, there was an SE that joined years later um, and he was on a team I was working on and he was a, he was a Land Rover guy, you know, spent a lot of money on his Land Rover Discovery and he at first was disgusted that he was going to have to drive a Ford sedan. And then he sort of realized, wait a minute, I, I don't pay for gas. And I not only do I not pay for insurance, I don't think about insurance. And he came around quickly. Right, right. 
So, Mike, you were uh, an engineering student, and yep. then you went into sales right away. How was that transition? Was there some culture shock, so to speak, for that, um, or was that easy for you? And no, it was challenging. Uh, you know, I, I started as a staff sales engineer, um, and then I, I did a general territory. Um, I, I really thought of, of sales as a craft. Um, and I think anybody who's, I mean, I sold for 14 years. Um, anybody who sells for that period of time understands, you know, just what a, what a challenging, difficult job is. And I think it's gotten a hell of a lot harder since I left. I mean, I, the people I know who are selling for tech companies, I mean, they're living, dying weekly forecasts and doing other things that we didn't really have to deal with then. Um, but it took, you know, it took a year or two. And if, and if actually one of my first boss, Wayne Quill, told me that he said, hey, Conley, it finally clicked. You know, the measure is public and it's not fair and make it anyway. And that a, that's, a, that's a pretty good way to um, get started in, in understanding the importance of making a contribution in your career. Absolutely. So, Mike, um, do you have some other memories of, of that office at that time? You know, we've already talked about cars and we had the garage and all that. We also had a cafeteria for quite a while in the office. Uh, we had a lot of services. Do you have other memories of the office and the people around? Many, many, many memories, you know, from, from having that garage and your own gas pump, which hopefully you remember to take the pump out of the car before you pulled away. Um, I, t- I, will, I will admit that I didn't once. And the, the cafeteria has a lot of memories. A couple things that I think were sort of unique to that time. One of them is the, uh, there was somebody who had, there was in the back of the cafeteria, there were these double doors, top down double doors, you know, so that you could open the top and serve out of it, whatever. And somebody had a key just to the bottom half of the door. So had two locks, a top lock, bottom. He just had a key to the bottom. <laughs> so he'd go in, at, you know, typically after work and just open that door to raid the refrigerator because the refrigerator was full of beer. Um, and that was the, the sort of thing that, you know, interestingly, if you did that today and you were caught, you'd probably get fired. Um, at the time, if you were caught, you'd, you'd probably get an award for creativity. <laughs> right. But I would say one other one other story. I don't know how many people remember this that I remember from that time is, uh, of course, Mike Anderson was someone we all looked up to. He was um, tragically taken so early, but just such a wonderful personality, uh, such a warm person. But he did have one one quirk that I used to just laugh about, um, which is, you know, back when we smoked in the office, right? He he um, instead of looking for an ashtray. And we see if other people remember this. He would take his cigarette butt when it was near the bottom, set it on top of the divider between cubes and leave it there to burn out. And sometimes I just walk around the office and see these things that I knew Mike Anderson was there. <laughs> it was really an interesting time, uh, you know, to go through that transition. You know, we went from a time when, you know, there was smoking everywhere to a time where there was smoking only in a particular room to probably no smoking, obviously, then later no smoking in the building at all. Yeah, it was funny that it was it was funny that time when there was smoking that that way, you know, I quit smoking in 1990. So that was what well, I was still smoking in the late 80s. And it was kind of unfair, because if you smoke, you had you had more access to the senior leadership. <laughs> right? Most of them did. I remember having to go in and um, into the smoky lake room. Um, which I'll tell you the story of how that got its name. Um, you know, everything was a lake and that room had no lake. And when it became the smoking lounge, Bruce Jones and I, as a joke, 
just made up a sign, printed it out on a, on a laser jet that said Smoky Lake. We thought it would last about 15 minutes. And that sign stayed up and stayed up and stayed up. <laughs> and eventually one of those gold signs was created that said Smoky Lake. But, you know, we just did it as a joke and it stuck. Yeah. So the other area that occurs to me that you saw a lot of change in starting about the same time that I did in the early 80s and then going through, um, you know, up till the year 2000, say, is the, you know, the onset of the internet age and web browsing and surfing. I remember you were active in that early. Do you have memories about that? You know, there were, there were, I I was pretty um, inquisitive. So when we started having web browsing on the computer, I started just searching for whatever I could on the HP network. At one point, I, I found some reports, and then I asked if I could share them with my uh, customers, and then those reports were no longer there, uh, because that, that was before anybody thought about the fact that you you had to secure things. Um, but probably the funniest was, and I think it was um, somebody from HP Norway, um, and this would be this would be like the mid '90s, so it was a little bit. I, I was I was pretty surprised. So someone from HP Norway, I, I suddenly come up on a like a topless picture. On, on the screen, I'm like, you know, my eyes are really wide. What's this? And underneath it said, no complaints, please. Wow. And clearly not all of the company progressed in its thinking about appropriate behavior within the business world at the same time. But I'm, I'm sure they're all there now. Yeah, that's uh, that's certainly indicative of a, of a very different time, isn't it? Yes. So, Mike, you started in sales, and then you know after you left IT, you you moved into IT management and mm-hmm. other executive roles. And you know, I'll, I'll ask you about that a little bit. But but my first question really is, uh, what motivated that change? Is that something that you had in your plan from the get go? Is it something that sort of came up? You know, how did that work? So, I, when I started at HP, I initially was a staff sales rep, and then I. I transitioned from that to being a general territory sales rep, did computer-aided design as a specialty for a period of time, went to um, channel selling, the green team, for people who remember the color codes. Um, and then and then finally, I it was about the time our second child was coming along, and I realized that while I loved HP, if I was going to progress, first of all, the, you know, the, the probability of progressing given the qualified people, et cetera, was there, you know, wasn't as high as, as you might hope. The second thing is I, I clearly saw the, the lifestyle of, a, of an HP sales manager um, is an on the road lifestyle, very much an on the road lifestyle. And that's, that's you know, which, which I have no problem with people who, who make that choice, but it wasn't the choice I wanted to make for my family. So um, ironically, at, at that time, I said, well, what else could I do? And, and, I, and it seemed like, well, I could probably become an IT manager without too much of a stretch um, on the learning curve. So because of that, I sought out a different job selling, instead of selling technical things, selling business things to an IT world and joined the financial services team. Um, and then, you know, th- through a combination of 10% planning, 90% sheer dumb luck, um, one of my customers at the St. Paul company the CIO at the St. Paul companies offered me a job on his staff. And I, I, I went from, at that point, having never had a direct report on Friday and having 160 on Monday. Wow. And then, um, you know, I was there for seven years. And um, the last two is the CIO at the St. Paul. When the St. Paul and Travelers merger happened, 
Um, it was pretty clear everything was moving. So I started looking, started looking around for jobs, and it was it was funny. And it, this is crazy. I happened I, in, a, in a very real sense, I found a second HP because in uh, nineteen in, in 1983 I joined HP, and I couldn't have imagined. Or 19, 1983 HP was a four billion dollar company. When I left in 1997, I think it was a fifty billion dollar company. And then I went to um, United Health Group, joined it. It was roughly a twenty-five billion dollar company. Um, in 2004, and when I left, it was about a $250 billion company. And I just, you know, there's no no substitute for dumb luck when you have the opportunity to, to ride that kind of wave in the town you want to live in. Um, there is a huge sheer luck factor in being able to do that. And I'm incredibly grateful for that. Was there anything that you, you can remember that you took from your time at HP that you carried with you? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think about this a lot. Now, this, these are paraphrased and possibly apocryphal, but but they meant a lot to me and they were really grounding. One of them was was people used to quote, I think it was Packard as saying something like, "Show me how someone's measure, how someone is measured, and I'll tell you how they'll behave." Right. Um, that is such a powerful, powerful concept because, um, especially in terms of conflict in the workplace, you you really need to look at you know it's it's easy to personalize conflict and it's about the person, but a lot of times it's merely about misaligned incentives. And the other one, um, the second was was something that um, was attributed to Bill Hewlett, as I recall, basically saying if you can't describe something with numbers, you can't you won't be able to, you won't convince me you understand it. And I think that that focus on measurement facts was so brilliant at HP, and, and HP was actually able to focus on measurement and facts and use it to to um, shatter its own views and make changes. And then you know the, there's a third one, and I I can't tell you how many times I've said this, but but someone at HP said to me, you know, someday if you if you have your own team, if you become a manager, you need to understand that talented people usually have something wrong with them. And the more talented they are, the more intense that may be. Now, just to be clear, he was talking to me. I took this comforting. <laughs> I think he was comforting me. But that that kind of um, philosophy, which really says that you, you don't get to optimize every aspect of a human being. If I had some pretty senior leadership roles, and one thing I was always challenged on is that, you know, you, you get that discussion saying, well, is this person proven they're ready for this role? Well, how can they? You know, or this person has these things, but they don't have these two things. It's like neither do you, right? And and you got to play to people's strengths, and you got to give them opportunities. And frankly, I, the other thing I really thought about is like, you know, I'm I'm pretty good at figuring stuff out, but I'm not as good as I should be at paying attention. And so um, when I got to be a leader, I, I one of the ways I took that to heart was to find folks I could work with or have work for me who could um, compensate for what I'm bad at. Um, compensate for my flaws. And I think that's been that's been super helpful to me. Well, Mike, I think you've always been a very good judge of people. And I'm going to tell you a little story about yourself uh, as an example of that. <laughs> this is, uh, so you, I was hired in June of 83. You were hi- hired in July, um, you know, maybe two or three weeks later. One day, uh, you and me and Dave Fitch went out to lunch. I think it was El Torito. So this is probably the end of July. So you had been there a week or two. And so uh, you were asking me some sort of question. Uh, I can't even really remember what it was. It was about how things worked or or something. And uh, I was sort of explaining the answer. And and Dave, Dave mentioned that he and I were hired on the same date. And you turned to me and said, wait, 
you've only been here a month more than me. What the hell am I asking you for? You don't know anything. I'm going to go ask somebody else. So, <laughs> uh, you know, like so many things, unfortunately, you know, as, as our memories get creaky, uh, like so many things, I can honestly say I, I don't remember that, but it certainly sounds like me. Well, uh, Mike, I really appreciate you um, taking the time to um, talk with me here today. It's been a lot of fun. I'm sure everybody would like to know you know, just personally, where where are you these days? Where do you live, and what are you up to? Yeah, right I was I was privileged, and I really mean that privilege to lead um, the infrastructure team um, from Optum that helped stabilize healthcare.gov during the crisis. I one of my staff went on like Thursday, and on on Friday um, he came back to give me a report, and then over the weekend I saw that the site was down again. I told my wife I was going to bring a suitcase just in case, and I think I went to DC for the next eight weeks. It, it's bizarre to get home and be waiting for your luggage and see Wolf Blitzer on the on the TV talking about what you're working on. Um, funny moment I got to say one fun the most surreal moment of of that was I was in a meeting and. Um, Dennis McDonough, who the the Obama's chief of staff at the time, I got the opportunity to explain to him what a firewall was. I was probably the least qualified person in the room to do that explanation, but it was uh, it, it was you know explaining a piece of of um, technical minutia to a to the chief of staff of the president of the United States was quite a quite an experience. Wow! I hope you asked him to explain it using some numbers and you know Bill's <laughs> Bill Hewlett's manner. Yeah. Well, you know what's its bandwidth? If you don't know its bandwidth with a number. I won't believe you know it. So, yeah. So how about personally, Mike? What are you up to these days? Um, so I retired at the end of uh, 2019 and um, with a combination of good and awful timing, obviously, with the pandemic being so hard on people. I'm, I'm currently um, on the board of um, Fairview Health Systems. I was I was the chair of the board of Health East at the time of that merger. And then I've been involved in that. I'm very involved there. I've been I've also just joined the board of a community bank, um, which is fabulous because it, it's it's allowing me to, to be exposed to a very different part of the economy than my career was. Much smaller businesses, much more entrepreneurial businesses, as well as learning new industries. So that's really fun. And then I've done some consulting, largely in the in the in the um, security space for people doing security products. But it, the consulting is based on how do you sell to a large company. And what's what's interesting is, you know, I had a, a good career at United Health Group and et cetera. But what makes me distinctive and interesting for like a, a security company to talk to is the fact that I spent 14 years in sales. Being involved with salespeople and sales teams has let me kind of relive that and, and brush up on that. Well, thanks a lot. The arc of your career has been fascinating, Mike. You know, there's not many people who, who, like you said, started in sales and moved on to the, the yeah. kind of roles that you did. It's very interesting. So thanks for joining us. And I'm, I'm yeah. looking forward to a time when we can all get together, have a, one of our little reunions that Kevin Marshall puts on um, and getting to catch up a little bit more. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for the time. Thanks for listening. Larpenter Life is produced solely by me, Dave Carey. It's not affiliated or sponsored by HP in any way. I really need more people to reach out to me and volunteer to be a guest. So please send me an email at larpenterlife at gmail.com. Until next time, take care, everybody.